Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's March 2nd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, and I am joined by the founder of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. Thanks for joining me again, Bill. My pleasure, Charlie. Now, the last 72 hours have been so crazy that I noticed you've been inspired to start writing limericks on that's Twitter. How, that's how bad it's gotten. Yeah, late last night. I don't know. It just, <laughs> you know, you stop trying to actually comment on what's going on, but commenting sort of implies. I don't know, a reasonable world in which people are doing things that you can then make reasonable, maybe incorrect, but reasonable comments on. But of course, at some point, you're just in a kind of a, you know, Alice in Wonderland world. So you kind of turn to Alice in Wonderland type or Edward Lear type lyrics, limericks, I guess. Well, I I, I, I did like your, your limerick on um, on Hope Hicks, which people will have to now go to Twitter to read. So is this like a new phase in your literary no, no, life? Have I, you I, always been into limericks? No, I'm not really into limericks. I have a very bad ear for meter. So as uh, several correspondents have already pointed out, my limericks do not scan properly if you're a true limerick aficionado. And basically, my wife told me, no more limericks. So I think that was my one-day exp- experiment with limericks. Okay. Well, people can can grab it on uh, screen uh, grab. Uh, we haven't talked since uh, since CPAC, uh, including the Mona Charon moment. Um, I know that you saw uh, the, the Brett Stevens column in Thursday's New York Times, Fights Worth Having, um, where, where he talked about her. He said something. I, I I feel like you and I have had this conversation before, but but he said something that uh, that I found very very interesting, um, where he's talking about the the animus for Trump critics at events like CPAC, uh, and of course we're referring to Mona Charon calling out the hypocrisy of Republicans then being booed, and and he says he has a line in the in the column where he says this is not at root ideological critique, it's the sign of a bad conscience. And I keep coming back to this question of the people who have decided uh, to rationalize Donald Trump or bow the knee to Donald Trump or simply to enable Donald Trump because they they want to be close to 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 power. The 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 anger um, aimed at Trump skeptics or the never Trumpers, I do think it has something to do with that sense of bad conscience that to a certain extent uh, that that you and I and others and and Mona Charon are are sort of well they're um, they um, highlight exactly how far some of these conservatives have gone. Do you uh, do you accept that uh, that critique? Yeah, I do. I'm always wary of you know interpreting other people's psychological states. Some people just disagree with us, obviously. Some people uh, and many people actually are let's call them very reluctant Trump supporters, and they can make a rational argument for that position and say that we're being a little too harsh and being sort of more simply anti-Trump. Um, and that's a debate I've had, as you have, with many, many people, friends, acquaintances, and it's a reasonable debate actually. But I do think there's a certain type of person who's sort of gone all in for Trump after spending 10, 20, 30 years stressing the importance of character in politics, morality in politics, being a strong proponent of free trade, of, of uh, American international leadership, of a ton of other issues like that. And suddenly they're just, uh, the rule of law, I would add, incidentally, criticizing Obama, criticizing the impeachment of Clinton, uh, strong supporters of that. Uh, Obama misusing the Justice Department, very offended by that, lowest learner in the IRS. And suddenly with Trump, it's not just a kind of look. He's not great, but he's kind of our guy, and he's doing a few good things, and let's just kind of try to make it a bearable four years and a productive four years. That's a reasonable position. But the people who've gone all in and just don't want to hear the criticism, there you've got to think there's something about, uh, yeah, maybe a bad conscience if they're intelligent enough to have a bad conscience. 
It is. Uh, it's kind of entertaining over the last uh, 24, 48 hours watching Twitter, watching some of the Trump supporters rationalize one way or another Trump's complete 180 degrees on gun control. Some of them arguing that, well, he didn't really mean what he said. Uh, we're lying if we actually quote him directly. Or some essentially saying, you know, damn right, let's take those guns without due process. The president is right. So you you had a the, the the whole the whole continuum of, of of Trumpism on display. Those who drink the Kool Aid, who will who will switch their positions, even on something as fundamental as gun rights, versus the people who say, look, you just can't take him seriously. He's just this just just off the cuff, and and we know where his heart really is. Right, and the latter is a better position if you're going to be a Trump defender. And then you'll tell yourself, and Ryan and McConnell and these guys will kind of get him back in line. So this is just part of the package. He pops off. He has these kind of slightly wacky uh, moments on TV or hour-long moments on TV. And at the end of the day, we'll get policies resembling the ones we, we like. And that is the more rational position of the Trump defenders. I do think this week's a bit, a bit important, though. I, I think the degree of chaos in the White House, mm-hmm. ranging from people leaving like Hope Hicks to the uh, spectacle on guns to the uh, sudden announcement uh, Thursday on uh, apparently of tariffs on trade, which sent the market down, what, 500 points in about an hour mm-hmm. or two. I, I think it's got, I don't know, just from my own conversations, at least with people, a little bit of, whoa, I mean, maybe this isn't getting better. or Maybe this isn't even stable. Maybe we've managed to hold it together they would say for a year with adequate results, but another year and another year after that, another year after that, and then another four years. Or someone like me was thinking about, uh, and I talked to Mona a lot about this in the last week, actually, since we were, you know, we talked a little mm-hmm. before her, her uh, excellent perfor- uh, performance at CPAC and uh, really courageous performance, I would add, and and then subsequently in terms of the reactions. Someone like me would like to save the Republican Party and the conservative movement from Trump and thinks there's still a hope to, of doing so. The biggest argument we get against it is, no, he's at 85 percent approval among Republicans. Look at the congressional Republicans. They've totally gone along with him. Look at well, the, that's plausible. Look at the conservative movement. They've totally gone along with him. Totally plausible and true up till now. And my argument's always been, but don't take a static look. What will it be like a year or two from now? A, and I think there's some chance that he will be much less formidable a force, even among conservatives, two years from now. And B, couldn't a lot of people who have rationalized Trump more than you and I would like, Charlie, say to themselves, you know, we kind of got away with it almost for th- one one term here, three years, four years, it's okay, but do we want to take another uh, gamble for another four years? So I, I think, I may be kidding myself, but I think there's more of a market for getting beyond Trump, is the way I would put it, than it might look like right now. And I, I do think this week has sort of brought home to people just what an insane roller coaster we're on. And how one just wonders if it's sustainable, you know, but you can tell yourself over and over, that's just the kind of froth, that's just the talk underneath it, the policies are sound. But then you suddenly say, well, wait a second, gun control is a real policy, immigration is a real policy, trade is a real policy. If he's just flitting back and forth on those and sending inconsistent signals to allies and so forth, we'll pay a real price for that. That, that that I think is the key point, because one of the strongest arguments of the Trump supporters has been, OK, if you ignore the character, if you ignore the tweets, if you ignore all of that fraud, you know, aren't the policies something you can get behind? Aren't they all conservative wins? And and this week was one where you could stand up and go, uh, no, OK, let's look at what he's talking about on gun control. Here's a man who is uh, clearly ignorant on the policy, who is uh, indifferent to any sort of nuance uh, and uh, has is devoid of any fixed principles. And then, of course, you have the uh, the trade war, which I want to get to in, in, in just a moment. But when you talk about pushing back, I, I noticed uh, even after the president is talking about 
about taking people's guns without due process, which shocked even some liberal gun control advocates. About the only Republican that I saw issuing a statement was Ben Sass. Everybody else is kind of, I don't know, looking the other way, kind of, you know, you know, looking down at their fingernails, trying to ignore it. But uh, Ben Sass did take the occasion to say, look, uh, we, we don't just scrap these Second Amendment rights simply because the last person the president talked to thinks that's a good idea. Yeah, the other senators, as you say, kind of look away or make a mild, Ooh, he's not an expert on legal things, you know. And the same on trade, they kind of, uh, oh, I'm a little worried about that. Ben Sass does seem to be going out of his way, and maybe that's not quite the fair way to put it, but it's not, I mean, or at least just say stepping up and standing forth and saying, wait a second, due process comes first, the Constitution comes first. And then on trade, uh, he also said uh, this is a very bad idea and a very forthright statement immediately after the president made his comments on Thursday. So I, I think Sass is different. I mean, most of the congressional Republicans are on some spectrum from you know, mild rationalization or, or hesitant rationalization all the way over to a lot of them, you know, enthusiasm and pure kind of sycophancy. Uh, Sass is the one who has kept his distance maybe more than anyone except for what, Jeff Jeff Flake, I suppose. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's sticking around. You know, you also had the sense that, and I, I agree with you, there's something about this week that did seem different. Now, of course, we've been through this so right. many times. I mean, how many times have we said, well, okay, this is the turning point. Right. Okay, this is the red line. He's not going to come back from this. But there does seem to be a certain level of chaos, a sense that the walls are closing in on this administration, that his inner circle is either departing with Hope Hicks or or really under uh, fire, under scrutiny, including including Jared Kushner. And there does seem to be this this thing that played out on Thursday where the the the, the trade war was the, the the tariffs were off and then they were on and then they were off and then I, I lost track of it. But eventually he, he came out and said, I'm going to announce it anyway. You really get the sense of a White House in disarray, even by the standards of the Trump White House. Do you have any sense of, of what's driving it? Is it the footsteps of the Mueller investigation getting closer? You know, is it uh, is it some other dynamic that's going on politically? Because there was a there was a brief window there. When Republicans seem to be getting a little bit of mojo, the polls were not so terrible. The the gap on the on the generic poll was not so awful. The tax cuts were much more popular than expected. And then you have this week where the wheels do seem to be coming off again. And part of it is just Trump can't resist being Trump. And so as soon as there's even stability for a few weeks, uh, he seems to shake things up. And Corey Lewandowski and Scaramucci are sort of back in and and uh, Kelly's under, under threat, McMaster's under threat. I mean, I think there was a period there where things had gotten very bad in the summer, by late summer. And then I do think Kelly and others were able to establish control. Kelly was able to get rid of certain people. And you had the little more sense of, of a Trump under control. Um, that maybe they got overconfident after the tax cuts. He went up a little in the polls. It went to his head. I don't know. That plus the Mueller investigation, which I think is now really gotten very serious, obviously, um, does seem to have led to a sort of uh, outburst of the old ways. And, and, and I don't know, Trump himself just seems inc- more and more frustrated. You'd think he was going up in the polls until a couple of weeks ago. You'd think he would have, he was having some victories, has a chance actually for some victories on something like a compromise that would keep his base, but actually pass some legislation, a minor legislation on guns or immigration for that matter. Uh, but he just seems to be flailing about attacking Jeff Sessions. I mean, an awful lot happened this week. As you say, we've said this before, week after yeah. week, but you put together the trade and the guns and the attack on Sessions and Hope Hicks, one of his most loyal uh, aides, leaving quite suddenly, I'd say, after only mm-hmm. a year in the White House. 
um, and various other reports about what Mueller is and isn't finding. And it just feels a little different than it has in the past. It, it, it did. And of course, this is not the first time that he's he's attacked Jeff Sessions on Twitter, calling him disgraceful and a variety of other things. And apparently he calls him Mr. Magoo in private because, of course, we're all in sixth grade again. But I thought it was interesting that Sessions and I'm not a huge Sessions fan, but Sessions pushed back pretty hard and seems to have a certain confidence that, that I didn't detect earlier. Did yeah, you notice I, that? I very much did. I thought the pushback was very important. I mean, uh, Trump insults him, and you know, Sessions doesn't have to say anything. He can just take it. He said, look, I'm going to stay here and act with integrity and honor, and I defend the integrity of the Justice Department, exactly, something to that effect. And it struck me a couple things. He was punching back. He wasn't just mm-hmm. sort of – he wasn't just taking it or even sort of defending himself and his, and his folks over at Justice. And he was, in effect, implying that what Donald Trump was asking him to do would not be to act with integrity and honor, and he was going to refuse to do that. I think he was also saying, you're going to have to fire me if you want me gone. I'm not quitting as a favor to you. And I was discussing this on TV yesterday, actually, and uh, Angie Mitchell, whose show I was on, said, you know, it's interesting. Tillerson is a similar situation. He, he bullied Tillerson. I think he thought maybe Tillerson was going to leave. Tillerson said, I'm just going to do my job. I'm not a huge fan of Tillerson's, but Tillerson seems to be just chugging along. If Trump doesn't have the nerve to fire those people, you have a funny situation where the cabinet officials are kind of running their own uh, fiefdoms, for better or worse, incidentally. And suddenly the whole coherence of administration policy, I think, gets much harder when everyone realizes, okay, we're just going to do our own thing. I mean, think of that. State and justice, state justice and defense, three of the four core departments of the federal government, Treasury being the fourth, the four senior cabinet agencies they're always considered, the four that sit the closest to the president in the cabinet room and so forth, um, are being run, really, Sessions, Tillerson, and Mattis, almost without direction from Trump, mm-hmm. and sometimes contrary, one has the impression, to Trump's wishes, as I say, for better or worse in some area, in different areas. It's a pretty unusual phenomenon, and it might be temporarily, people like me might root for Mattis, in a sense, to keep defense chugging along and, and not bow to Trump too much. But ultimately, is that a tenable way to really run a, a huge government? Yeah. And, um, and especially with the State Department, it seems that every day there's another uh, senior senior uh, diplomat who's who's leaving that administration. Um, let's, let's talk about what happened uh, on, on, on Thursday, because, you know, a lot of what we're talking about here is very much inside baseball, staffing, things like that. But there's no question about it that trade policy has real world implications throughout the throughout the economy. And uh, the, the the president said that next week he's going to impose a big new tariffs on steel and aluminum. So any thoughts on trade wars or people looking up Smoot Hawley on Wikipedia this week to find out how, how that tends to work out for the economy? Yeah, I think it has real world <laughs> effects, as you say. And again, this is a very, but it's interesting for me for this reason. That trade's an issue, that tr- one of the few issues I think Trump really believes. He's been a protectionist mm-hmm. and mercantilist for 30 years. Japan, China, very upset about them, other countries taking. Uh, advantage of us. I've heard stories from early in this administration when someone would go in to talk to him about foreign policy, and the main thing he'd want to talk about is, do they have a trade advantage over us, trade surplus? If so, we've got to act. You know, got to get that fixed. So, so suddenly he announces these apparently these tariffs on aluminum and steel. Uh, Canada is one of the countries that's going to be most affected and had a very stiff response actually uh, uh, Thursday. And you know, Canada is kind of a good ally of ours. We have a ton of we we actually they're they're considered part of our domestic economy almost from the point of view of the defense industrial base and a huge amount of the supply chain kind of goes in, back and forth between us and Canada. I think the degree to which it's just a blunderbuss. You know, it's one thing to sort of pick a fight with China, which is 
justifiably a rather unpopular regime, which really does take advantage of us in certain ways. This notion that we're going to pick a fight with Canada as much as with China, I mean, literally, you know, in this case, the effect on Canada will be as great as that on China. And of course, it's not as if these other countries are going to sit back and do nothing. So I, I think the degree to which this one might become has real world effects isn't going to just go away in a day or two. It's not a Charlottesville where he says something really unfortunate, but you know, a week later, what's there to do about it? This is now going to play out over weeks and months of policy, as of course happened in 1929-30. I don't think it'll cause a Great Depression. It's not big enough by itself, but it, it could put a, a, a crimp in the economy. And and how much is it a harbinger of other things? That's what I, I in so many areas. We've sort of gotten a little reassured that Trump's instincts aren't going to prevail. McMaster will stop him from doing this. Kelly will stop him from doing that. Gary Cohn, who runs the National Economic Council, will stop him from doing this. Well, suddenly they didn't stop him. And I think you sort of start to worry about, well, what about in other areas if he just lashes out and policy starts getting made in these ways? This is a case where he overruled really his entire senior staff virtually, Cohn and McMaster and Kelly and the people who one had thought were kind of – keeping things under control. So I think this is a pretty big deal. Mexico, incidentally, has an election coming up in, I don't know, two, three, four months. There's a Trumpy nationalist kind of populist candidate running. He's going to take advantage of this to rally the Mexicans against this assault on them, kind of one-sided assault, They'll, uh, despite, despite NAFTA, incidentally, that, that, you know, while negotiations are supposed to be going on, Trump just imposes these tariffs. And uh, what if he wins? What if we have a much more hostile mm-hmm. Mexican government? So this will have real-world effects, both direct and kind of indirect. So do you, do you anticipate any any resignations? I mean, Cohn, Cohn went to the wall on this, I and mean, yeah, apparently I this was this was a, as as heated a, a policy debate. And you know, in previous White Houses and previous governments, uh, if if somebody at that level uh, had their their advice rejected, there would be a resignation. Do you anticipate any? I don't know, but I, I think yeah. if you're thinking of should I stay or leave, is 18 months enough? It's kind of a mess anyway. I, one thing, I, when Hope Hicks left, I made a couple of calls to people, not directly in the White House, but people who are very friendly with people in the White House. So I was really, it just struck me as so unusual, you, mm-hmm. you know, to her credit, I suppose, at 29, she was at this extremely high position. She seemed to be staying out of the news and not getting negative press or anything. People seemed to like her and respect her. Why was she leaving? I think it might be related to Mueller investigation, but in any case, uh, what, what people told me over and over is, uh, Bill, you don't appreciate just how exhausting it is working there, how tiring, how taxing, how frustrating at times. And you kind of come home from a 13-hour day and you think, oh, we got, got a, sort of averted these six disasters, but this one's still pending and I have to worry about this one when I get in at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. And, and I wonder if a Gary Cohn thinks, you know, instead of saying, I can stay for another year and do some good for the economy, maybe I'll consider becoming chief of staff if Kelly leaves. Instead, Gary Cohn says, you know what, I'll go back to New York. So I, I do think you could have even more turnover and, and some of the more senior, responsible people leaving. And at that point, again, one forgets how much it's sort of been held together by Cohn, McMaster, Kelly, some of those people. Uh, and I think people would – and also that would have an effect on the Hill. I think if seen serious Republican senators and congressmen start seeing those people leaving, they have a different attitude towards the Trump White House than they do today. Well, the, the other question I have is that the one thing that uh, Republicans had going for them was a strong economy. Uh, as we mentioned before, the, the tax cuts appeared to be much more popular than anyone and when expected. And yet you, now you have this uh, the specter of a trade war, which may not lead to a recession, but which could certainly slow down the rate of economic growth. 
which is why so many of these voices were, were telling the president, don't do this. I mean, even the Wall Street Journal editorial board was saying, look, whatever you do, you know, don't mess with the economy, which is the number one strongest political asset you have. On the other hand, it strikes me once again that that looking back, that this is one of the arguments that uh, that free market conservatives uh, ha- had not successfully made politically. That and Donald Trump, I think, instinctively knows that in a lot of the uh, Midwestern states, uh, this kind of protectionist policy is politically popular, and it's harder for those of us that believe in free markets to make the case why, in fact, uh, the, the the global economy works for us. But for whatever reason, I'll be interested to see. What the fallout is in states like Wisconsin, where we have thousands of workers who are dependent on on exports who will be hurt if there is a trade war. But I'm not sure that that's the political perception at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. I saw Democratic Senator Casey from Pennsylvania, in effect, endorsed what Donald Trump has done. So this will be cross-cutting politically. I mean, at the end of the day, the reality of the real economy will have a big effect. If it slows down, it slows down. And uh, whatever people's sort of theories are about whether we've been taken advantage of or not or whether free trade is overrated or not. So I, I suppose that uh, – but I sort of agree with you that the, the he's been able to hold together a consensus of kind of Trumpy populists and protectionists and establishment Republicans who are free trade internationalists. Because the economy's done well and he hasn't followed through on most of the stuff the establishment Republicans are most scared of that he would really follow through on. He's not deporting millions of people. He's not uh, slapping on trade barriers. He's not uh, going full America first. The trade Could trade be the moment where some of the establishment Republicans think, eeks, you know, rhetoric uh, has consequences. And this guy could be here three more years. And what if we don't check him in some other areas as well? And suddenly we're living in – it's not sort of a Republican Party that we can tolerate from their point of view with a slightly eccentric, you know, uh, uncle at the top of it. It's really a party that's being let off the rails. I mean, for you and me, I think we mm-hmm. made the decision about the rails a while ago. And our rails are sort of different from these, you know, wealthy Republican establishment rails. But uh, – but so this could be a big moment. As you say, we've said this before. But I just feel sitting here in Washington that this week might have been a week where uh, some of the wheels began to come off the Trump presidency. I I, I agree. I have the, I have the same sense. And even, even though we, we, we have said this before, Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very much uh, on another Friday. And thanks for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. We will be back again on Monday.